the 17 James Bond 007 films that Albert Cubby Broccoli produced, one of his three favorites was Box Office Gold. Hi, this is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzato. From SpyMovieNavigator.com, the worldwide community of spy movie fans. Spy movie podcasts, videos, discussions, and more. Hey, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Hey, Dan, today's an exciting day for us here at SpyMovieNavigator.com. We're using our podcast show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, to announce the start of our first giveaway. It runs from March 1st, 2020 until Sunday, March 22nd at 2 p.m. CST, which is 8 p.m. GMT. That's right, Tom. We've released a couple of podcasts on collectibles in the last month while you were on vacation. And I thought we should have some more fun with this because I'm a big fan of collectibles. So most of the world was introduced to the iconic Aston Martin DB5 in Goldfinger. We thought, hey, why not give away a DB5? Well, that wasn't feasible. So we're doing the next best logical thing. We got a DB5 keyring from the official James Bond website that we thought we'd use as a giveaway. I like that keyring. You've got one that you use yourself. I do, and I love it, and I've had a lot of people comment about it. So how are we going to give one away? We're going to use a feature from our website, spymovienavigator.com, to manage this. On the right-hand side of every page is a red button that says, Send us a voicemail. This allows you to use your computer or mobile device to record a voicemail that gets sent to us. You'll be entered if you leave us a voicemail using this button to give us some feedback. Maybe you want to tell us what you like or dislike about one of the podcasts you've listened to. Maybe you have an idea for a spy movie-related podcast you'd like us to do. Or maybe you have a question you'd like us to answer about spy movies. So it's really that simple. Record a voicemail message to us from our website about our podcast or spy movies in general, and you're entered. Yeah. If you have a microphone attached to your computer or through your mobile phone, this should work fine. When you click the big red button, it does require you to include your name and email address. We need that in order to contact you if you win. Just giving your first name is fine. Sure. And we might play your recording on a future podcast. Yeah, so between March 1st and March 22nd, 2020, you could send us a voice message and you'll be entered automatically. If you're listening to this after March 22nd, 2020, you can still leave us a voice message. We always want to hear from you. Well, this is really exciting. I love when we get your comments. And giving away a DB5 keyring just makes this more fun. Yeah. All right, so let's shift back to our discussion of the actual movie Goldfinger. Here's part one of our two-part discussion. Part two will be released next Sunday. Now, before we actually hit the movie itself, you and I just got back from Miami, Florida, where we saw four different Goldfinger sites. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, we went to the Fountain Blue Resort in Miami Beach. Yeah, that's where Bond was chilling out after his successful operation in Central America. And then we went and saw the KFC, the Kentucky Fried Chicken, where Felix and Simmons, where they're waiting to track Bond's, his homing device yeah, or whatever that thing's called. Yeah, to track Bond with that, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. then we go, we go, went on the route that Oddjob drives when taking Mr. Solo to his... Uh, pressing engagement. His pressing engagement, yeah. yeah. And then the Iron and Metal Yard in Miami where the Lincoln is crushed. Ooh, that was cool. That was really, that was really <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah. Right, so it was, it was really cool to go to these places in person, see what they look like today, in some cases really different. Yeah. So we've actually created a podcast about our on-location exploration trip to Miami and the Keys. Yeah. We're doing some additional videos on this. So you can find these podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, 
Podbean, Spotify. Your favorite place. Yeah. So it was really a fun trip, a really fun podcast talking about what we saw there. But that was not the movie itself. That's what it looks like today. So let's go ahead and get into the movie. Yeah. Who does not know the Goldfinger theme music? It was one of the most successful themes of any Bond film. Yeah, now here's a little fun fact about this. One of the rhythm guitarists on here was Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. Really? Yeah, it was before they made it big, and he ended up uh, being one of the rhythm guitarists on that theme song. Yeah, that's great. The theme song is terrific. Uh, music by John Barry always is that's, marvelous that's and inspiring. always good. Always good. It, it really is. The guy was fabulous. you got to love John Barry really was the theme music and the music of Bonds. Yeah, and Guy Hamilton does another spectacular job directing the film to be really one of the best Bond films ever made. It's personally one of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. For Russia would love Goldfinger and Casino Royale. I, I, I love those three. So join us now as we take a close look at some unique elements in Goldfinger. Let's just give you a quick plot summary so we're all on the same page. After successfully blowing up a drug lab in Central America, Bond's vacationing in Florida, kind of chilling out, and there Felix Leiter, his old buddy from the CIA, tells him of a guy named Goldfinger who's involved with smuggling gold. So Bond must monitor Goldfinger and find out what the heck's going on. Doing so, he discovers that there's a secret plan that involves the gold in Fort Knox, Kentucky, where the United States of America keeps its main gold supplies. You can go to our YouTube channel to see our related current on-site film location videos for Goldfinger and other film locations. And check our website always for our newest podcasts where we're talking about a lot of different spy movie topics, how all these spy movies relate to each other and how the real world has impacted spy movies. So we talk about all that kind of stuff in virtually every podcast. And like for this podcast, we're going to talk about how Goldfinger interrelates with the real world as well as other spy movies. Exactly. Here we go. Now, the movie starts with what James Bond continuation author Raymond Benson, along with the Chicago movie critic Dan Geyer, call the best pre-title sequence in any movie ever made. I went to a presentation they give on that topic of these pre-title sequences, and this is the one they called out as, as their, what they think is the best one. We're, of course, talking about the duck on top of the scuba gear, you know, where 007 gets out of the water, uses a grappling gun to shoot a hook with a rope so he can climb up. Now, Ethan Hunt, we know you're watching. Ethan does that kind of stuff all the time. He blows up a drug lab, removes his wetsuit, revealing a perfectly pressed white dinner jacket. Yeah, it's really a dry suit. But yeah, it's a dry suit, yeah, but yeah. yeah, yeah and, but, but, and he's, get, he's got the little white dinner jacket. He puts the red uh, flower into, into the buttonhole. Yeah. yeah. And he walks into a club and ends up killing a henchman, which was perfectly shocking. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great, it's a great uh, title sequence, and I, I agree with these guys. I mean, this is a fabulous pre-title sequence. Yeah, it has almost nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> yeah. Now, removing a wetsuit and revealing a tuxedo sounds like a Mission Impossible, doesn't it? Yeah, who's uh, going to really do that? You're not going to do that. Uh, That's not, movie magic. Yeah, uh, not really. Because in 1941, there was a Dutch agent, Tazelar. Another name we're going to try to get right, right? I don't know how to pronounce it. Our that. Dutch friends out there who we're in touch with on a regular basis, you tell us who we're saying this right. He was part of the Dutch resistance, and with British help, he got ashore near The Hague 
removed the wetsuit, which was really a dry suit, to reveal an evening suit. And he infiltrated a Nazi party to try to extract other Dutch resistance fighters. Oh, and I love it. It wasn't he just got to the party. When he got out of the water and he had his tuxedo on, Yeah, he actually doused himself with, with liquor to smell more like he was drunk because he was trying to act drunk as he does this infiltration. Yeah, yeah. And we did check out our podcast on how events in the real world and other movies make their way into spy films to hear more details about this. But this is a real-life event. This really happened. So Bond getting out of the water. And actually, we go into a lot more detail in that podcast, and you'll you'll understand what the connection is with Fleming and and why this is in the story. Yep, absolutely. So why this scene is in the movie, remember we were talking about, we're like, what the hell does this have to do with the rest of the movie? And it, it really doesn't, nothing. right? <laughs> but in the in the novel by Fleming, the very beginning of Goldfinger, Bond is thinking about his recent killing of a Latin American smuggler. So there is some basis for this tie-in here, and that comes out of uh, Stephen J. Rubin's book, The James Bond Films, Behind the Scenes History. Yeah, it's a great book. It's an old book, but it's a great book, and there's a lot of great detail in that book. Yeah, and he talks about that tie-in there that most people would miss. Yeah. The Spy Movie Database on our website is the initial result of an agreement between Spy Movie Navigator Stephen J. Rubin and his publisher based on his book, The Complete James Bond Movie Encyclopedia. So that's going to be a great resource for all our listeners out there. Go take a look at this. Search anything you want on James Bond movies in our database online on our website, spymovienavigator.com. And we'll be adding some non-James Bond stuff in there over time. Yeah. So after after the, we get the start there from the pre-title, we go into the gun barrel scene. And notice that Bob Simmons is still the agent that shoots, shoots towards us, right? It's still Bob Simmons. They haven't brought Sean Connery in. It's the last movie they'll use Simmons for this. Thunderball puts Sean Connery as Bond in the gun barrel. And from that point forward, it is Bond. James Bond. James Bond. Yes. So the, this sequence highlights various scenes we're going to see in the movie. Much like what Mission Impossible does two years later in the television series, where they've got Shirley Bassey just belting out that theme song just amazingly. But notice the simple beauty of the title sequence with the gold theme carried out throughout. Much like the title character, Goldfinger does himself throughout the movie by almost always wearing something gold. Yeah, the whole thing is cool. Because, I mean, if you look at, you watch the golden hands in this pre-title sequence in the beginning where Goldfinger is introduced on the left and then Bond on the right. The additional main characters, Jill Masterson, Pussy Galore, the DB5. Yeah, you start getting excited. It's like, yeah. what is this stuff? Yeah, you want to know more. Odd Job, Mr. Solo. They're all in this title sequence thing. And there are even a couple of flashbacks to Dr. No and From Russia with Love here as well. It's, that's a nice touch. I like that kind of stuff where you're tying this stuff together. Exactly. You're tying in. This isn't just a Bond movie isolated. This is this is Bond, and there's other stuff he's done. It's a continuing story kind of thing. It's, so it's a brilliant title sequence. It's captivated millions of Bond fans, of course, to this day. And it's one of our favorite title sequences done in any spy movie. You'll notice scenes from the previous Bond movies are projected on a golden woman's body, which is alone just a brilliant idea. Actress Margaret Nolan was the golden girl in this title sequence, and she was also the body in the movie posters. We own one of the posters. She's one of the. She's the body across the horizontal across the. the so they actually poster. had a different act, a, a different model for the posters and for this title sequence. She's not really the one who's golden bad dead. 
later on in the film. No. Margaret Nolan did the posters and the pre-title sequence uh, and the title sequence, but not she's not the obviously right. Jill Masterson. Right. No. So Robert Brown John, he designed both the title sequence and the promotional posters. And one of our favorite posters that we own is this simple vertical poster, black background, words in white, James Bond is back in action, and it includes several photos of Bond and one with a Bond girl and the golden girl who lies horizontally across the middle of the poster. That's Margaret Nolan. The golden words, everything he touches turns to excitement, is of course the overwhelming message and a play on the words, everything he touches turns to gold. So the attribute of success, which goes along with this original idea of everything he touches turns to gold, is attributed to Bond here as it refers to the excitement he creates for us, the viewers. And it's just simply brilliant. It's awesome. It is. Perfect. You can't improve it. Yeah. Now we find Bond in Miami Beach, Florida in the U.S. He's chilling out after a Central America drug mission. This scene, which is shot partially at the Fountain Blue in Miami Beach in Florida in the United States, Sean Connery is, is Bond and Gert Frobe is Goldfinger. They actually never made it to Miami Beach for these scenes. In fact, neither did Harold Cicada, who was odd job. The second unit crew shot these establishing shots at the real Fountain Blue Resort, but the scenes with Bond and Goldfinger were shot at the Pinewood Studios in London. Yeah, you can see when the main Fountain Blue building is visible in the background. It's a bit dull and slightly washed out, but where Goldfinger is playing cards with his pigeon sitting across from him and Bond is walking by, that background and the people walking by are very crisp and sharp because that was filmed at Pinewood Studios in London. So on a recent trip to Miami Beach, Spy Movie Navigator visited the Fountain Blue Resort. What a beautiful resort. It is. And much has changed in the decades that have followed. Some of the location shots that were done of Felix Leiter, we were able to find those, actually. So we were able to see where he walked past the ice skating rink. Yeah, it's not an ice skating rink anymore. It's a store, I think. Yeah, but you you can tell based on the curved hallway, that's, that's where it was. Yeah. And we walked right past there. And there were a couple shots outside we were able to get near the pools and that were from the movie, and we were able to find those as well, although the whole entire pool area has changed. Um, But by looking at the background of the building itself, you could figure it out. So we did a podcast on here called Spy Movie Navigator Visits Goldfinger Filming Locations in Miami, Florida. If you want to hear how they got the bathing beauties to be the only people at the pool instead of the normally older crowd that would frequent the Fountain Blue back then. Yeah, take a listen to that podcast. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Story. So Felix Leiter then briefs Bond on Goldfinger in this scene. And Bond, when hearing Horror Goldfinger's name, he says, Sounds like a French nail varnish. This, I, I guess, is t- shows that Bond is sophisticated, but he's always playful with his words and confident. We saw Bond making interesting quips in the first two Eon production movies, Dr. No and From Russia with Love, and it continues here as well. We're going to know the Bond character very well because of this. Yeah, it, it's ironic here that many of the scenes that were supposed to be in Kentucky were actually shot partially in Miami Beach, Florida and Miami, Florida. Odd Jobs Lincoln, Felix and Simmons at the Kentucky Fried Chicken, as we said before. We'll explain that one later in this in, in this podcast. The Iron and Metal Yard and so on. Then in other spy movies like Notorious and the 2006 Ian Productions Casino Royale, scenes that were supposed to be set in Miami in the film we're not actually shot in Miami. Notorious, they were all filmed in Los Angeles and Hollywood. And for Casino Royale, they were filmed in Prague in the Czech Republic. Ah, uh, you've got to love movie magic. Yeah. So after Bond calls out Goldfinger for cheating and makes him repay by losing, Ajab kills Jill Masterson after a little romp that 
uh, James has with her. Yeah, by painting her gold, of course. Yeah, but the weird thing is, they killed Jill, but they left Bond alone, right? I mean, as a, as a viewer, we've and we've talked about this in other in other podcasts. Why don't they kill, just kill Bond too? Yeah, right? and everyone wonders that. It's like, well, of course, the series has to continue and so on. Yeah, but, but I mean, you're looking at this and thinking, odd jobs painting her gold and. He knocks out Bond, and then he's painting your gold. I mean, do you have a whole team of people in there painting your gold? I mean, it takes time. It does. And, you know, how does he know he's not going to wake up in the meantime? Why not just kill him? Then you know he's done. And then paint her. But, no, they wanted him to find her painted gold and kind of teach him a lesson, I guess, and say, hey, look, at you, you mess with us, and this is what happens. Somebody and, messes with us, I'm going to mess with him. with you. Hey. <laughs> So is, hey, that the, is that the Untouchables? I think somebody hey, messes with us. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm mess with you. Hey, yo, some hey, who knows? Maybe Goldfinger doesn't even know who Bond really is yet, and he just thinks, "Hey, you took my trophy girl, and uh, so I'm gonna make you suffer by taking her away from you too." Yeah. So who who knows? But wait, Goldfinger, he's connected worldwide. I mean, how does he not know that Bond is a, an MI6 agent? Yeah, everyone else in the world knows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't Bond hide it. Like, yeah. Uh, of course, we're going to see this same type of megalomaniacal behavior. In, Easy for you to say. In many of the Bond villains to come, and actually from the past couple of James Bond 007 movies as well, Dr. No from Russia would love. We'll see it again in this film. Yeah, I think they have this concept that they're, they're above all this, and they're, they, whatever they think of, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work. Their crazy plans for Bond are going to work, because that's how they think. They're nuts, these guys. Yeah. Next, we're going to take a look at the golf match, which I absolutely love. Yeah. In the movie, the golf match takes place at the Royal St. Mark's, which was based on the Royal St. George's. In real life, though, it was filmed at the Stokes Poge Golf Club at Stoke Park. And it's about 35 minutes outside of London in Buckinghamshire. And it's a luxurious resort and spa. It's gorgeous. And fabulous, you know, fabulous grounds. I mean, the building's just amazing. It was founded in 1908. And it's one of the most expensive clubs in the world. And Fleming was a pretty decent golfer and played at Royal St. George and was especially fond, fond of the 19th hole. <laughs> so now, now Fleming had a nine handicap, which I wish I had. It, coincidentally, it's the same handicap as James Bond. And in the film, Goldfinger has the same handicap as we hear the starter say. Now the scene is about five and a half minutes long, but it highlights what will become the mission for the rest of the film. And many believe this is one of the best golf matches ever filmed. It establishes Bond as the person of interest for Goldfinger, since he has access to some rare gold bars. And you'll you'll see again, Goldfinger is wearing a golden sweater as he plays his round of golf with Bond, and he's almost always wearing something gold throughout the film. And once you pay attention to this, you'll look for it. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Once you hear that yeah. and you watch the movie. He's yeah, gold lapels, gold this, gold gun, gold Every gun. scene he's in, you're going to notice it going yeah. forward. Yeah. As another aside, in the novel, Bond's caddy stands on Goldfinger's lost ball. But in the movie, Bond stands on it. And I guess they gave Bond a little more status by doing that. But Well, you, no, no. Now, wait a second, though. You, you, I caddied forever, right? I, yeah, I caddied did. for 13 years. And... Darn it! Let the caddy do the mischievous thing. Let the the member be or the guest here, in, in Bond's case, yeah. look good. The, let the caddy do the dirty work. That's that's one of the reasons the caddy's there. Yeah. On a recent trip to London, Tom and I took a trek out to Stoke Park, which is where they filmed these golf scenes. And we actually had tea and high tea at the restaurant there. Walked out to the 18th hole, 
and got some great photos. And we walked in front of the main building where the Rolls Royce was parked. That was really cool. Yeah, and we're Bond and Odd Job and Goldfinger met after the match. So Goldfinger can write the check out yeah, you're to stand- Bond because he lost. You know, so we're seeing the eighteenth hole where he dropped the, the where the gold bar was and then was that on the eighth seventeenth? That, w- that wasn't on the eighteenth yeah. hole, that's okay. So we saw the eighteenth hole, we saw the club, we walked all around the club and, and it's gorgeous. But yeah, you're standing there right where the yeah. where the rolls was and where That was that was really cool. And where I job throws his hat at the statue, which of course they didn't film there, they filmed at Pinewood Studios, but that was kind of cool. Yeah, and what another part about Stoke Park is you don't realize it, but actually in Tomorrow Never Dies, there's the scene where Bond is in his suite, and it's really what it is is a meeting room on the lower level at Stoke Park um, that they turned into a suite. And in Layer Cake, oh yeah, right, da- you know, a Daniel Craig, Craig movie. Another connection. Yeah, you know, another connection here. They also had a scene that they shot there. Yeah, I think he's walking down the steps there or something yeah. in front of uh, Stoke uh, Park. Yeah, and it's, it, also, it also had... A nice little homage to the movie in there. So if you go and visit there, they've got a bunch of posters up and pictures up. Yeah, on the lower level, there's a whole hallway of Sean Connery autographs and photos and stuff. It's pretty. It's pretty neat. So it's it's a pretty good place to go. Yeah, it's worth uh, having lunch there and. I just wish I could have played golf on it because being a member is a little pricey. Yeah, yeah. So let let's move ahead to the scene where Bond's in the DB5 and there's the car chase with Tilly Masterson. And then the, the whole thing where, you know, she ends up dead at the end of the thing. Yeah. And let's focus on it because it highlights three things. First one is the DB5 and its gadgets because yeah. we'll see those used here. We've got the death of Tilly Masterson at the hands or the hat of Oddjob. Yeah, and we see an emotional bond like we saw in Dr. No and Coral Dice. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of people who say, you know, Bond's never emotional. These films are rarely emotional. I mean, we've seen it in two of the first three films where he's pretty emotional. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to see it here. Now, the producers wanted to use a Jaguar, but Jaguar was reported, refused to provide the cards for for the film. Now, I actually have owned Jaguars for years, and I actually wish they had actually given them a car because that would have upped the status of these things. They're pretty nice cars. They then went to Aston Martin, and Aston Martin, of course, provided two cars for the movie. I mean, what, no, what, what thinking? What were they thinking? Hmm. Let's see. A successful movie franchise wants to use your your your, your product in the thing, and you're not going to give it to them. That was brilliant. So th- this Aston Martin was also used in Thunderball, and later sold to a, a private American car collector for 4.6 million U.S. dollars. Forty years later. Forty years later. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely. Okay. Now I mentioned I mentioned that I I'm a Jag owner, right? I've never driven an Aston Martin. I think it would be very very cool. We're going to go to uh, an Aston Martin dealership here in uh, the Chicago area, and we're going to drive one, and we're going to film it. Well, we should probably do that before we put out this podcast, so they don't know <laughs> that we're not going to buy the car. <laughs> you know, as we're talking about the cars in this film, they use Oddjob has the Lincoln, and we're going to see that get crushed later in the movie, right? Right. And they brought that in because. Ford wanted to introduce the Mustang in this movie. And so they brought the Mustang out in this movie and that's what Tilly's driving. Yeah. And and so, you know, they, they bring the they introduce the Mustang as you'll see in other movies going the forward. Sixty four and a half was the first Mustang. Yeah. So that was the year it was introduced. So here they got the Mustang in because that's like you said, that's what Tilly's driving. You know, I I have a Mustang. You know, Tom drives a Jaguar, I can drive a Mustang. I love my Mustang. It's a beautiful car. 
I got it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I got a couple other. Red. I got a couple other cars. So I got a DB5, and I got the Lotus Esprit that was like in the Spy Who Loved Me. I I got those too. So Dan, those are keychains. They're not really cars. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the Mustang's a real car. The others are keychains. But those are they're cool. Key- hey, hey, yeah, they are keychains. But I have one in front of me right now, the DB5. It's it's really cool. It's, yeah. I got them at 007.com, the official site. There, they're, they are really cool. You should go take a look and 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 see. But uh, the Mustang actually is drivable. Yeah. so the chase with the db5 the sound effects in this chase are fantastic we're sure the sound effects here were quite helpful in bringing home the first academy award to the james bond franchise norman wanstall actually won the award for best effects sound effects at the 1965 academy awards the motor sounds the road sounds the gadgets the bullets being fired the crash of Odd Jobs hat striking Tilly. They're all first rate. After Odd Jobs hat strikes Tilly down, it kills her. Here we see a softer side of Bond. We see a little glimpse of Bond being tender. Like we did in Dr. No when Quarrel, his buddy, was struck down and burned by the dragon. And when he walks over and looks at him sadly and reflectively, he does the same kind of thing here with Tilly and walks over he turns her over and he he knows she's dead and he glances at odd jobs hat and he's obviously sad and maybe even emotional really as he looks at her face he's looking at her and he clenches his jaw indicating that he will avenge her death all in one quick shot this is i mean it's like a second shot of his face when he does this brilliant though brilliant absolutely and unfortunately We get to see that kind of a look out of Bond with people that he knows dying around him in future films. Now, Bond is trying to avoid his pursuers because, remember, they put him in the car so he can drive away with them. right? So he's trying to avoid his pursuers. He's got his skill driving, and he's got the gadgets. And at one point, after he activates that oil slick in in the car chase, we see a car crash off a cliff and burst into flames. And we saw the hearse do this in Dr. No!, where it plunged to a fiery grave. In this scene, the car crashes, bursts into flame, crashes through some small trees as it rolls down that hill, and the trees follow it in flame. It's a beautiful scene. Yeah, but it is. Most cars, as we mentioned in the Dr. No uh, podcast, most cars will not burst into flames when crashing like this. But it is great drama. Yeah. We also see Bond raise the bulletproof shield in the back, right, during the yeah, chase. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we've always wondered why the front windshield is bulletproof as we'll see in another moment when the when when the when you remember the old lady with oh, the machine gun great scene. is shooting and it's hitting the front windshield and it's not penetrating the windshield yet he needs the bullet bulletproof shield to protect the rear window i, I always like what that doesn't make a lot of sense no. uh, so maybe it's just q's thinking it's a little extra protection you know you're getting chased from the rear maybe you block out the the the, the passenger and the driver and you, you can't target them even if you wanted to who knows but it is curious. That's a cool gadget. <laughs> Again, what do they think? It's like, okay, come on. You just you just saw this car loaded with gadgets, right? You use the smoke screen, oil slick, rear bulletproof shield. What next? They make Bond drive his car. And, of course, the ejector seat. Boom. Bam. Guy's out. So Bond gets away for a little bit, and then eventually they capture him anyway. But <sighs> what are they thinking? But I, d- I did like how they then tied back to that in, what was it, Skyfall? Yeah. Where M's in the passenger seat. Yeah, they're escaping to Scotland to 
his residence where he grew up. Skyfall. Yeah, and he, he like flips that thing open, and yeah. she makes the comment oh, yeah. about, what are you going to do, eject me? Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I thought that was kind of a cute tie-back to this scene in this movie. Yeah. So this looks like a great place to end part one of the podcast with the car chase and the gadgets, and after this car chase, Bond's captured. So that's a great place to start part two of the podcast. Now, before we go, I want we should do a quick shout-out to George Lazenby. George Lazenby. I don't know. It's one of my favorite Bonds. I love the guy. I love that movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service. We've been to most of the film locations for that. And recently, George Lazenby received a Lifetime Achievement Award from Cinefest in Hungary. And it's the biggest film festival in Hungary. So shout out to him for that. And then, is this guy finished doing stuff? No. He tweeted, and we follow him on Twitter, of course. He said, I'll, I'll just read his, his uh, tweet. Me and Terry Stamp in London earlier today, he's got a photo of him, recording Passport to Oblivion for Spiteful Puppet, at Spiteful Puppet, reliving 60s spy world. Then he, this is interesting, he says, Terry star starred in the female Bond movie, Modesty Blaze, and he said he told me that Harry Saltzman had asked him to take over from Sean. <laughs> That's, that? that's pretty good. And Terrence Stamp actually has a scene in Get Smart where he uses a laser to cut some metal. Yeah, And we're going right. to talk about the laser to start out part two of the podcast. Cool. All right. Shout out to you, George. We love you. Thanks for joining us today. This is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. From SpyMovieNavigator.com, the worldwide community of spy movie fans. Spy movie podcasts, videos, discussions, and more. Hey, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and send us a question or suggestion for a podcast via Facebook or from our website. Click that big red button on the right that says, send us a voicemail, and we may use it on our show. <laughs>